0: Almighty and merciful God, may we proclaim your words this morning, not mine. God, may you fill our hearts, may you change us and form us. God, the scriptures tell us that you are the potter and we are the clay. Form us this morning, in Christ's name we pray, amen. Disciples make the best of Babylon this morning. I get to preach and teach out of one of my favorite books of the Old Testament, the book of Jeremiah, and uh, when I started Bible College in New Orleans, I took a preaching course on preaching from Jeremiah, and uh, with my two favorite professors there, Dr. Strong and Dr. Gibson, and I'll never forget our time together. But this morning, I, I kind of want to talk about this first slide here. Who loves to move? Anybody? Anybody? so being a in ministry being a pastor moving is inevitable right and this morning I'm not saying I'm moving Uh, (laughs) this morning uh, Amanda and I have moved like nine times since we've been married Uh, all but two of those have been basically cross-country and Uh, Most of the time, it's for something that's out of our control. You know, it's finances, or it's a job changing. And I'm sure that many of us this morning... We can't read any of that up there. Uh, (laughs) I'm sure for many of us this morning, at some point we have moved. Unless you're one of those few lucky people that have been in the same town that you grew up in, and you, you work there, and you retire and someday, you know, you'll die in that same town. Uh, That was the way 100 years ago in this country. You know, all my family at one point were in Roseville, Illinois, and they they started that little town, and we have the Roseville Cemetery, which is full of blues, the whole cemetery, Uh, and everyone in my family was born uh, and then died in that same small town. But for America today, most of us just have to move for work all the time. And uh, that's one thing, don't tell the cabinet, that I just really, I, I struggle with is moving around all the time. Uh, it's hard to settle in, it's hard to, to uh, get to know people, and uh, it's really hard. You, you know, one of, the, one of the issues in America and around the world today, I was watching on the news uh, a couple nights ago, was loneliness is a major issue. Uh, and the generation that I'm in is even more so lonely. Uh, we don't have deep connections with people. We don't have many friends. And I think part of this is, is because we are so transient. I lived in an apartment complex, which we hate apartments. Uh, we've only lived in two. And we, when we moved to West Palm, housing was so expensive. So we went into this little apartment. I don't know. It was probably like 800. No, it wasn't even 800 square feet. But people were moving in and out all the time. And it was kind of cool in some sense, you know, we'd sit at the pool and we'd talk to all these people from around the the world uh, that were training at the airport right across the street from us. But uh, we have to be careful when we move. And one of the things we have to be careful with is that we don't take the baggage, regardless if it's a physical move or a new job, we don't take the baggage of the last place to the new place. And it's something that I I try to work on very intentionally is evaluating uh, my own emotions, my own hurts, my own pains. Because believe it or not, even in the life of the church, all of us pastors have some pains, just like anybody does that has a job. Uh, And so we have to evaluate and we have to move forward. And so this morning we're going to kind of talk about uh, being called and blooming where we are planted, uh, so we're going to look at Jeremiah nine five, But again, to kind of give you some background into Jeremiah, Jeremiah was a prophet, right? He was a young guy. He was about 16 years old. Uh, and God called him for a purpose, to proclaim uh, some harsh realities to the leadership. So just imagine a 16-year-old kid... Going to the White House and telling the president, whoever, whatever president's in there, you need to fix this or your country is going to collapse. And that's what Jeremiah was sent to do as a 16-year-old kid. Uh, Jeremiah is said kind of through historic tradition, you know, he was engaged to be married uh, because that's what you did at 16 years old back then. And he was told he couldn't marry he was to proclaim God's message. And he had a tough life. But the Babylonian Empire took over uh, the Jewish nation uh, because of their decision not to follow God. And God, in this story, uh, has the Babylonians take over. And just a side note. The Babylonians were very advanced for the time period in which they were in. So who's ever used an outhouse in here? An outhouse. Yeah, there's still communities. There was a church we worked at. They had just got indoor plumbing maybe like 10 years before we got there. So uh, the Babylonians, thousands of years ago, had indoor plumbing. Uh, And, of course, you know, when they were destroyed, that technology was lost. So there we go. We have the outhouse. (laughs) So uh, they were being punished for their idolatry. Uh, So this is the Babylonian Empire. They owned everything uh, during the old world. And there's Jeremiah. He was born in 655 B.C. We don't really know when he died, uh, but, you know, that... 6th century to 7th century, which ends in 501 BC. Uh, Let me get to my scripture. Here we go. Jeremiah 29 5 says, Build houses and settle down, cultivate gardens and eat what they produce. Now, the Jewish people were complaining God, you put us in exile. Now, how many times did the Jewish nation end up in exile? Quite a few times, right? And they're complaining, they're complaining, God, we just want our country back. We just want to be back home. And what does God do? God basically says, stop whining and make the best of your situation. Build a house, settle down. Now, it's a big commitment to build a house, right? I mean, even in that time period, I would think to spend all my time, money, energy on building a place for my family... And then gardening. I, who's a gardener? Not me. I shouldn't raise my hand. So uh, we've tried. We've done a couple of successful things. Like the easiest thing is probably potatoes. You know, we can grow potatoes. Uh, pumpkins are really easy. Uh, I did that when I was a kid. But everything else we kill. So <laughs> so they tell them, build a house, plant a garden, uh, make the best of your situation, And there we are. There's a sunflower, you know, in the middle of the rocks. Uh, We have to bloom where we are. We have to embrace our now. And even if that means uh, we're in captivity. So God likes to take really bad situations and turn them into good. I really believe that. And I try not to repeat myself because... I was told as I get older, I might do that more for my parents. So, <laughs> um, and, you know, again, during Katrina, everybody told us that God was punishing our city for our sin. And they just lost their minds because the, the main part of the city that didn't flood was the, the part of the city that was filled with sin. The the churches, the homes, the community, that's what got devastated. Uh, But God took those really bad situations and still does and turns them into good. So when the Jewish people were in exile, here are some of the highlights. First of all, they created the Hebrew alphabet during that time of exile. They have a written language that they still have today because of the exile. I would say that's pretty significant. The importance of the Torah. So before the Torah was kind of ways to live a good life. You know, they understood God gave it to them. But the extent of this is God's word in which is the foundation of our life. This was the first time that happened. Faith outside of the physical temple. So before this time period, they had to be in Israel. They had to be at the temple to be a Jew. And now you can be a Jewish person no matter where you live. And that's still true today. We can be Christians no matter how close we live to the Holy Lands. We can be Christians no matter where we are, uh, what we look like, what we speak. None of that matters to God. And so I believe uh, uh, God growing us where we are planted we are called to grow where we are verse 6 here says get married that takes i hope hopefully takes commitment and there's so many people that end in divorce today and and again i have people divorced in my family and good friends and everything but it's commitment when you get married and i don't care what marriage you're on be committed to your partner have children Then help your sons find wives and your daughters find husbands in order that they, too, may have children. Increase in number there so you don't dwindle away. One of the first commands that God gives us is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And it says, then God blessed them, Adam and Eve, right? And said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill uh, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish and the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Now for me, just kind of a side note, what's really important in this scripture is our free will as humanity. God set a tone that we have the right uh, to reign and name the animals. Uh, God told us that we are to be fruitful and multiply. And certainly, um, this topic of having children is always a hot topic issue, no matter what church I've been a part of. Uh, But the point here is that kind of Christianity, you know, we talk about all these other world religions and how we're kind of dwindling down. And the fact is that people just aren't having children. Christians aren't having as many children as they used to. And so churches would, you know, people would have five, six, seven kids, and then they would baptize them into the faith, and they became Christians. That doesn't happen much anymore. And, uh, you know, of course, I'm in favor of that we should have more children and, and raise them in the faith. But I, I kind of want to bring up this next point. So I have a friend of mine that's in my uh, doctorate and ministry cohort and he wrote this this week, and I just thought it was kind of interesting. It said, if it took one denomination $38,000 to baptize one person in 2018, what will it cost doing business as usual to reach the tens of thousands in our city who by any measure are far from God? And he says, I don't know if you have that kind of money laying around, But I know you know it never hurts to think about what it will take to reach our city if we are willing to stop doing business as usual. So the point here is not that, um, not the amount of money. The point here is that the church today is in a different place than it was 50 years ago. We as the church have to stop doing things as we once did. We have to be able to be fruitful and multiply. So... Unless God is doing an Abraham and Sarah situation, many of us in this morning are probably not having any more kids. Anybody else plan to have more kids? No. All right. So I, I don't know. Amanda and I are talking about that right now. You don't know. I don't know how many more kids we're going to have. This has been really difficult on us. You know, again, on, on we went to the listening post. We were 30 minutes late on Friday. We get there. We had a great time. And then we went back to the hospital, and it was And thank you, Hillary. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for watching Lee for us. Um, We end up back at home at like 2.30 in the morning. And so it's been rough. But I think children are worth it. A hundred percent. And be that, I don't know, that aunt or uncle maybe. Or grandma or grandpa that the kids don't have. To raise them up in the faith. But the point is that multiplication isn't just about having kids. It's about making disciples of Jesus. And so we talked a little bit last week about this. But I think uh, I'm going to share a video with you from one of my uh, favorite Christian authors and publicists. It's Francis Chan. And it's just a quick one-minute video.
1: When I was a kid, we used to play this game called Simon Says. Right, most of us have played that, unless you're really young, because there's no app for it. it, it, it Simon Says is, uh, you know, you just, Simon Says, pat your head, you know, so okay, you know, Simon said it. Um, it's just, it was a very simple game, but it's so weird how in the church, Jesus Says is a totally different game. If Jesus says something, you don't have to do it, you just have to memorize it. you you study it you memorize you guys it it doesn't make any sense a lot of the things we do when he tells us to go out and make disciples and how many people in our churches are actually making disciples they memorized it you know when I tell my daughter hey hey, Rach go clean your room she doesn't come back to me two hours later and go I memorized what you said (laughs) you said Rach go clean your room I can say it in Greek. (laughs) My friends are going to come over and we're going to have a study on what it would look like if I cleaned my room. (laughs) She knows better than that. And so why do we think we're going to come before the judge one day and quote everything that he said? Talk about how much we know. It's just, it's just this black and white stuff. If I just started with scripture, I'd go, here's what I would do. I'd start making disciples.
0: Kind of hits home for me, right? We are to just go and make disciples. That's what God calls us to do. So what are we doing about it? You know, I could list 20, 20 other things that we can do to make disciples. Uh, the previous week, I shared maybe 10 items that you can do to to teach the next generation and so the charge this morning is go and make disciples let's stop talking about it let's go do it so our last point here is we are called to make a difference where we are jeremiah 29 verse 6 promote the welfare of the city where i have sent you into exile pray to the lord for it because your future depends on its welfare. Now, we could really easily get into some political conversation about welfare and taking care of our neighbor, and, of course, a little bit I'm going to have to touch on that. But I had to look up this biblical definition of welfare. What did God mean by that statement? Action or procedure designed to promote the basic physical and material well-being of people in need. So we as the church... Uh, are called to make a difference. We are called, uh, as people of God, to help those in need. And the church was that original welfare system. It was. It was a different time and age. Now, that's difficult because 90% of the churches that I know today are struggling. 90%. Every pastor that I know, you know, the, the church budgets are struggling, A lot of churches are going down to part-time pastors because they can't afford to keep a pastor. Uh, Churches are 90 people or less on an average Sunday. Uh, And so I think the church did a good job here when you guys helped start Tri-County Community Resources. Now, I don't know the whole history. I don't know the whole story. All I know is that you guys helped start this here in our county. And I think that was a good move. Because we as the church support this ministry. Uh, They have the resources we don't have. We can pool all of our churches together, no matter how big or small. This is the church being the church. And it's really easy, uh, especially when we're in Babylon, uh, to think of ourselves, well, we're just going to help our own. And I see this. I've been a part of churches, you know, we had a fund. Uh, The members in need fund and we only helped our members You know because the church is dwindling and there's limited resources But the truth is we're called to help all of God's people Now we do that here. We help all God's people. We have people that come in every week for assistance And we try to help them. We really do we pray with them We put them in the right direction Uh, We help with groceries and gas money and all these great things that we're doing. And I hope that we're uh, spreading the word of Jesus to these people. It drives me crazy. We help because we are Christians, right? We're not Christians because we're helping them. But because of our faith, we are helping those in need. Uh, It kind of reminds me, so one of my good friends is a rabbi. Brad Hirschfield's is his name. And he wrote this book. You don't have to be wrong for me to be right. So we don't all have to agree on every single thing to be a Christian. We don't have to agree to help those in need. We don't have to agree politically. We don't have to agree scripturally. You know, again, um, one of the things I... I endorse women in ministry. Not all of my brothers and sisters in Christ would agree with me. But you know what? It doesn't mean we can't be friends. It doesn't mean that we can't come together and help somebody. All of us, we have to accept, we're in this kind of a weird place in the world today where if I don't believe the same thing you believe, we can't talk. We can't communicate. It's really irritating to me. Uh, And so... This is a great book. If anybody in the church wants to do a study on it, I have like 5 of them. I would love to join the group and do the study with you. Um kind of in closing, uh you know, we have to put Jesus first in all things. If we want to make disciples, no matter where we are, we have to put Jesus first. We have to be a disciple and make disciples. Even in Babylon. One of my slides is missing here, but that's okay. You know, my grandmother, which probably many grandmothers also say, is a house is a house. You know, it takes work to make it a home. Right? And I don't know. it's, It's probably been passed for generations, right? And I truly believe that. A house is a house, but it takes love. It takes work to be a home. And part of being a disciple is building that home together as a church. Building that home in our community where people, when they come to church, they feel loved. When you all go out on Monday through Saturday and Sunday after church into the community, people know your faith because of how you behave, how you act. The peace... That you have, and again, I'm I struggle with stress and anxiety too. But we can have peace. We have to be making disciples. I don't care if that is through the raising of your kids and grandkids, if that is bringing others to church, if that is meeting with them in their homes. I would much rather it be in your homes. Share God's love. Um, No matter where you are and strive to do as God tells the Jewish nation here to make the best of all situations. I don't care where you're at, where you're working. You are a marketplace minister. Marketplace minister. You are in the field versus me. I'm in the I'm in the chapel. Most of the time, right? This is my place to preach and teach and with you all and share. But you all are out in the world. You're a pastor just like I am. So I, I charge you, I commission you as a church to be that person. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give authority to the members and attenders of this church to go out into the world multiplying disciples. We give them the authority to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, to share God's love with the world, to show welfare, meaning uh, support, to those in need. We give them the encouragement, That they are part of the body of Christ here at our church for support, uh, for building up. God, help us work with those who we don't always uh, agree with. But that's okay. Help us be the body of Christ that you have called us to be. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.